welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. <laughs> Good day. Good day. Matt, Matt just, I don't know if it picked up on the mm-hmm. recording, but Matt just called me chatty, which is on typically mornings, anytime before noon. I don't know that anybody would categorize me as chatty, but, um, you definitely but I don't know. Are. But perhaps, today you are. Today I might be, uh, perhaps because we have an extra um, guest, like a bonus Yay, guest for the just the intro guest. of this podcast, our friend Ryan Flanagan from Austin, Texas. Welcome to the Gravity Podcast, Ryan Flanagan from Austin, Texas. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, we we brought uh, Ryan in to just to just for this intro because um well i don't know maybe just say a bit about uh, who you are ryan and, and what you do we've been friends you've been friends with matt for a very long time and me for a shorter time but it still feels like a long time um yeah what's that context and and what do you do what do you get up to in a day well uh let's see i, I met you guys probably almost 20 years ago matt and i went to seminary Gosh. together Oh, that's right. I forgot. Uh, I went all we, the way we back. We started and ended seminary at the same time. Yep. Um, and and then I met you a few years later, Ben. And I think Christy, you must have been around those parts of the world too. But we didn't connect ever. Mm. No. Well, your mm, name is familiar, we were... but you know, it's kind of yeah. like a freshman knowing a senior's name or something. And right. <laughs> yeah, you don't know me, but I know you. Right. No, I've heard you of I've, each other. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard know your you. name a lot. I've heard your name a lot uh, over the past 20 years. Uh, but yeah, I'm a musician. I've got a music project called Liturgical Folk, um, which mm-hmm. we mostly we take uh, old prayers, ancient prayers, and set them to music, uh, as well as we write new hymnody um, and poetry from the beginning of the project in 2015 was um, was a big part of it. I wasn't writing the poetry at the time. It was my spiritual father, Nelson Kosheski, who was writing the poems, and I was setting them to music. And that was the impetus for our music project. Uh, and since Nelson has passed um, in 2019, I have a- been attempting to take up his uh, vocation in writing the words as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, if you're a longtime listener to the podcast, or maybe if you're on our curated links emails, you will recognize the name liturgical folk. Um, we just, uh, Matt and I at our church play probably one of your songs every Sunday. Um, the Lord's prayer, your setting for the Lord's prayer has become, I think the kids would revolt if we didn't sing it uh, every Sunday mm. um, because that is a, is a favorite um, for the kids. So anyway, you can check out, where, where can people check out your stuff, Ryan? Is it liturgicalfolk.org? Uh, yeah. Liturgicalfolk.com um, is com. a pretty static website. Um, but, you know, all of the, all of the streaming platforms, um, yeah. you know, whatever the awesome. kids are using these days. Yeah. Who can keep up? Well, anyway, um, we um, we wanted to bring you on today because you wrote a poem in response to the the last two episodes that we did on Christian nationalism, our interview with Andrew Whited, and our uh, response to that that Christy, Matt, and I recorded 
um, last week. And um, yeah, and you just want to say a little bit about writing writing this poem and what it's called, and and then we'll hear sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning because um, I love you guys. And <laughs> thank you. Uh, and I'll listen. try to keep this brief because I my my only criticism of your podcast is that your in, <laughs> your intro banter goes on a little too long. <laughs> uh, usually, heard uh, chef. Ryan, that's the, that's the reason why we invited you on here. Thank because you. Because we want to make you complicit in the thing you hate. Yep. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is uh, part of your, it's part of your sanctification. So. That, yes. I feel like that's been a theme throughout our friendship, Matt. <laughs> um, I set traps and then Ryan forgives me. Yes. So, uh, okay, well, um, you know, I grew up in a very... Uh, Christian nationalistic community, church mm. community, um, in which we, you know, had 21 gun salutes in our worship services on national oh, holidays, um, wow. you know, that whole, that whole thing. Uh, and then I started sort of deconstructing all of that around 2010. I think Shane Claiborne was a big help mm. um, with that, his book, Jesus for President. Um, and you know, when, when you guys were um, sort of following up on the interview with Andrew um, and laying out kind of three practical uh, th- ways to respond to, you know, the fear, the violence, the power, um, the one that always resonates with me is, well, I mean, they're all related, but the one about violence um, is such a just kind of, I mean, we had guns in our worship services <laughs> growing up. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, I'm always just moved in my heart to sort of confront my own violence and anger mm. and just kind of the way that that plays out um, in less murderous ways in my life, perhaps like physically murderous, but certainly right. in in ways that are detrimental to my um, to my spirituality and. And to my life, you know, my friendships, yeah. my relationships with neighbors and everything. So anyway, uh, the the psalm, uh, the morning of the podcast was um, 120, 120. And there's mm-hmm. a line in there um, that says, too long have I had to live among the enemies of peace. Mm-hmm. I am on the side of peace but when I speak of it, they are for war. Mm. And and I was struck by something you guys were saying about moderacy. And, you know, and I can hear echoes of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. about, you know, white moderates and, mm-hmm. and sort of this kind of resistance to taking a side because you don't want to offend either side or there's good people on both sides or whatever it is. And mm. the more I sort of get into this, uh, post-Christian nationalist kingdom ministry and imagination, um, the more I see that it's actually, <laughs> there usually is one side uh, that is good. Mm. And um, and there's another side. And I, I guess in these days, as you guys said, in this era, um, the starkness between um, a side that is vile and a side that is good is, you know, is brightened and becoming more 
evident, especially to those who know Jesus and know how the kingdom of God works in this world. So anyway, that was the impetus for Mm. the poem. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I appreciated the poem. Um, And then we'd love to have you read it. But before you do, I wonder if you could, um, we were talking about before we hit record, whether poets ought to reveal their tricks. Um, You know how poets have uh, certain structures and stuff. But uh, I'd love if you revealed the trick of this poem um, to us, because I did not catch it the first time I read through it um, Mm. to our listeners, if you're willing. Okay. Um, (laughs) uh, I'd rather your listeners read through it four times. Okay. Two times to themselves, <laughs> one time out loud. Yeah. And then read it to um, a friend. Yes, yes. yes. And then they will recognize it for themselves. And then write no. on your doorpost and tie it on your forehead. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's something to this. Shema. Um, <laughs> so the pattern, it's sort of an iambic pentameter minus the first syllable. Um, so there's nine syllables per line, but the last syllable in each line is the third syllable in the next line. Sometimes it's the same word. Sometimes it's just using part of the word. Um, But anyway, it's, it's a fun little trick. I don't even know what that's called. Yeah. uh, It's part of the structure of the poem, I guess. Um, I don't mean to demean it by calling it a trick. Um, It's called the Ryan Flanagan. The the Ryan Flanagan method. Come on. I love I yeah. love George Herbert, and he has a tendency of doing something mm. similar um, mm. in terms of like using a, a word in in a line and then saying it again in the next line. Yeah, sometimes. So yeah, yeah. Well, I I I, I do love it uh, as well. It's like a it's playing. We're playing around with words. So and it, anyway. you know it 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 uh, it actually forces me. Mm-hmm. It forces the poet to kind of consider other words where right. that you naturally might not. And that actually opens up some, a part of, I think my heart and my imagination sometimes that, yeah. that I, where I wouldn't otherwise go. All right. All right. Well, uh, we'll put this in the show notes as well. And um, Ryan, would you read your poem? Sure. Haven't decided what to call it yet. It's either taking sides or on the side of good. Moderacy says don't take a side. Neither side is good in everything. But the thing I've noticed in these times is more times than not, one side is vile. Now, the vile are clear to those who know peace, which no one sees with violent heart. But the heart that seeks to bless instead is the steady one who stands with God. One with God can love an enemy. As for me, my gut goes after war. Till my warring spirit finds that I am the iron-fisted one again. Then to gain the favor of the world, yea, the world that God the good so loved, My beloved, self-seeking, vengeful hand must unhand the weapon that I bear. For to bear the burden of a friend puts a friendly spin on what they see. But to see a foe through God's own eyes realizes them as one of us. 
furious as I am at your sin, on my sin I heap much more contempt. When I'm tempted to abandon love, still God's love demands that I forgive. So I give my life to follow Christ in the Christian act of making peace. If two pieces cannot reconcile, may I silo on the side of good. Thank you. <laughs> You're doing the little uh, just bohemian snaps. Just snaps over here. Bohemian snaps. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, Ryan. Really appreciate it. You sharing that with us. Thank you and our for listeners. listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah. Well, we've got an interview here uh, to introduce this week with Changing Gears with Fran Tilton, Fran Tilton Shelton. Matt, do you want to say a bit about who she is and what we're talking about this week? Yeah. I mean, Fran is a, um, she's a pastor, but she also is a grief counselor and has written a great book on how to. Um, how to metabolize our grief. Mm. Uh, you know, Ben and I are leading this retreat this weekend called A Bright Sadness. And um, it's going to be all about creating space to face and befriend sadness. Mm. Um, one of the unfortunate um, byproducts of our world, our political economy, is that grief and sadness are inefficient. They, they aren't productive, we aren't a better parent when we're sad. We're not a better, better uh, nurse when we're sad, right? So we tend to stay away from and we sort of bifurcate or separate ourselves um, from things we need to tend to. So her book is The Spirituality of Grief, 10 Practices for Those Who Remain. And it's a helpful guide of how to begin to reclaim, I think, we think, she thinks, the holy ground of grief. You know, yeah. it's a yeah. it's a portal into the presence of God that we walk around, ignore, uh, and deny. And so uh, Fran is going to help us be better. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, one last note about that retreat this weekend that I just thought of. Um, we did have a couple people who are unable to make it um, for a variety of reasons. So if you've, uh, been wanting, if you, if you find yourself, uh, thinking, you know what, I could use a retreat to be able to metabolize some grief, um, maybe pay attention to joy because they oftentimes go together. Um, you'd be welcome to come and join us. Oh, And so, yeah. So anyway, there's two, two spots left and there's actually, uh, even I'll just mention this as well. Okay. One of the people uh, who had to cancel last minute could not cancel their, um, their hotel reservation. And what? so there would be space at a place called the stone soup Inn, um, if you need to come here and stay. So Yuck. anyway, feel free Hopefully to check their it beds out. Are better than their food. Uh, right. Yeah. Stone, <laughs> stone soup. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. The beds are probably softer than stones. So okay. anyway, check out the link in the show notes if you'd like to come or just email, email me at Ben at gravity leadership.com. Ryan, thanks for uh, sharing your poetry with us. Yeah, a pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah maybe we'll do it again sometime. A, a, a random guest uh, coming, just reading poems. So I love yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. Here's here's Fran.
Reverend Fran Tilton Shelton joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. She's the founder and president of Faith and Grief, a non for profit that provides opportunities for comfort and hope to those who have experienced the death of a loved one. She's a spiritual director and earned her Doctor of Ministry degree from Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. She has served in the Presbyterian Church for over two decades and is currently a parish associate at First Pres Church in Dallas. The author of No Winter Lasts Forever, Fran is a member of Spiritual Directors International and has been recognized by Faith Hospice and Forefront Living Foundation for her impact on those experiencing grief. She joins us today to chat about her latest book, which is on grief, The Spirituality of Grief, 10 Practices for Those Who Remain. Fran, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Glad to be here. Um, so grief is something that I think about five years ago, maybe maybe seven, if you would have told me that understanding and having a theology and a spirituality that knows what to do with grief is important for you as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, I would have maybe tacitly agreed, but I had no experiential knowledge of what to do with that. Um, I think the last seven or eight years has created a capacity for me to appreciate that grief has to be reckoned with, that it sort of demands an accounting. Um, you talk about storytelling in your book, the importance of telling your story of grief. Would you share with us uh, briefly how did grief become an important subject for you? I will. I was called to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church here in Dallas. I started in September of 2002. And at that time, my first day of work, they said, oh, by the way, you will have a um, grief class that is beginning in a week. And they're taking registrations now. I was like, okay, um, I'm not a great speller. So, and I use humor to cope. I was like, is I before E? I mean, I didn't really know. <laughs> I didn't know that much about grief. Um, luckily, the curriculum that they used um, had been designed by a Disciples of Christ pastor. So I used that the first time. During that time, there was a combination of bereavement and persons who'd experienced a divorce. And after those six weeks, I discerned that those two needed to be separated. There were many of the same dynamics in grief, and yet the intensity was at different parts. And so I quickly separated that. I also begin adding, I am a firm believer that Holy Spirit is the source of our comfort and our strength. Therefore, I included prayers in the grief class, um, from traditional, or I wrote them because I wanted that Holy Spirit to be present and moving mm -hmm. through our stories and being able to listen to those stories. I've, I've had many people um, with my journey with others in grief has asked me, like, how in the world can you do this grief ministry? And I respond that there is not another ministry that puts you face to face with authentic people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned bereavement and um, was it divorce? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that's an important maybe entrance into my next question, that there's a variety of different kinds of grief. And you sort of laid them out in the early part of your book. Mm-hmm. But you also define what grief is. So maybe that would be a good place for a start. Could you could you give us a working definition of what you mean when you say grief and maybe add to those two different kinds of grief, like the 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 variegated ways that grief shows up in our life? Sure. Um For me, a quick definition of grief is an unbidden voluntary response to a change in your life. So that unbidden, it can be bidden or unbidden. Most of the time it's unbidden if it's an illness, um, if you are not the initiator of a divorce. Mm -hmm. Even a move can cause grief for individuals and then on the occasion of death of a loved one. I refer that as bereavement, and that's a particular kind of grief. Going back to scripture, when it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, take note, it does not say blessed are those who grieve. Yeah. Because, honestly, there is no comfort in the raw grief that we initially experience uh, for that And yet when we can mourn and we can make that choice, how are we going to live the rest of our life with this new um, vision, this new scene? Then I have seen comfort comes. Mm. I think one of the biggest types of grief that we are experiencing in our country and world right now, um, Ben, you mentioned, of course, COVID, that illness, that couldn't do, but also anticipatory grief Mm. due to the medical profession, oftentimes a diagnosis, a grave diagnosis, life-threatening diagnosis can be made with medicine um, and therapies. Individuals can live several years out. Right. And so there's this tension with the individual and with their family and friends is how do you hold the tension of the reality of this disease and the hope um, that the medicines and the treatment plans can manage the disease for a longer life. Yeah. 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 That's interesting that you make a distinction and I've heard this before, but I think it's worth teasing out a distinction between grief and mourning, or I don't know if lament might be a similar, maybe a synonym for you to mourning. Um, yeah, I, for me, lament is more of the the prayer. In okay. my book, I talk about that you have one hand that holds, um, you know, what you long for and what this world would look like. And then on the other, the reality, the harsh reality, tragic reality of the grief. And then what's in the middle to me is the lament where you're struggling with both sides and you're giving voice to it and you're crying out. And many people um, hesitate to lament. They feel like they have to just stuff it and buck up. And the lament is giving voice to that space in between. Yeah. How would you define then, because I think this is really interesting. So it's almost like you've defined grief as sort of the raw pain of the experience of of loss. Mm. Um, And then mourning is a choice we can make in the midst of that pain. 
Is that right? Is that fair? That Those are my definitions that yeah. I work with. Um, and I think there's different things going on. I mean, you, you don't mourn in the very initial stages of grief. You're, you're numb, yeah. um, which I interpret looking back on it is even an example of grace. Right. That we have that numbness. We have mm. that shock. Because, quite frankly, we could not absorb the ramifications of that event or occurrence. And I believe that in the goodness of God, we're numb for a while. Yeah. And now, a word from a sponsor. All right, let's get back into our conversation. One of the central themes that runs through the book um, that you wrote is that grief is just part of it. It's just part of life. Like, you know, if we're going to love someone, we're going to grieve. Um, for example, and, and, but still for many of us, um, you know, a lot of the people you know that I talk to in my work as a pastor, like grief is this like unfamiliar thing. It's for, you know, and so it's the universal. And yet so many of us are like, well, what do I do with it? How do I understand it? It feels like this mystery or this undiscovered country. Um, and I wonder if you have thoughts about why so many of us seem inexperienced, or unaccustomed to grief. We, we avoid it. We don't know what to do with it. It's scary. Why is that? Do you have thoughts about that? Well, a couple of different things. Uh, perhaps we haven't, you know, identified what is grief. Mm-hmm. Many children experience grief firsthand in the death of a pet. Yeah. Um, junior high, you experience a lot of grief, not accepted into the in crowd, or if you lose an election, or your boyfriend or girlfriend breaks your heart, uh, we just kind of roll with that, that. Well, that's part of life. Right. Well, that is part of life, is grief. Right. But we don't name it. And then I also... In working with individuals, they appreciate having a community. And time and time again, they say, I like being in this community because the people get grief. Mm. It's a pretty common phrase. Mm. And um, I think that, you know, a colleague in ministry that I worked with was 10 years older than I. And neither one of his parents, he, he was 70 years old before either one of his parents died. A significant individual because we're living longer. Right, right. Yeah. So um, I, I think that maybe we just haven't named it. Yeah. Haven't, haven't named it as a normal experience. And so then what we experience, just to, just to play on this a little bit, um, it seems like what you're saying is then what we experience internally when our you know, girlfriend, boyfriend breaks up with us, when, you know, we don't, we don't, when I, th- I loved your examples, we lose the, you know, school president election mm. or a pet dies or whatever. It's sort of like, yeah, that's normal. And that's part of it. Pets die. We lose elections. You know, not every relationship lasts forever, but we don't know what to do with or name our internal experience. And maybe many of us feel alone uh, in that experience because nobody's talking about it. We don't have a community that, that sort of understands it. Um, we feel like, and so maybe, yeah, maybe that's part of it is just, we feel alone and we feel like there's something wrong with us if we're experiencing grief. The isolation is, is so true. Mm. And I think that, um, we have a tendency in, um, our culture 
that we want to feel good. We want to feel happy. And I think even parents, um, perhaps they're incredibly busy and they don't know what to do with their child's feelings to sit and take the time. And let's, um, you know, but I had this wonderful set of parents that when their dog died, I mean, they did this incredible memorial for their dog and they drew pictures and they put out the special things. And one of the children wrote a poem about their dog and they took the time to talk about the stories of what that pet meant in their life. Yeah. And sometimes we're too busy to take the time. We're too afraid of whatever feelings may come up. Yeah. And so we just don't do it. We keep going. Yeah. Or maybe we're afraid of what comes up for us, right? In that situation as parents. And so we end up perpetuating this sort of ignorance about grief that that we don't get to process, that we don't get to have the memorial service for the pet um, or whatever else may help us to sort of mourn, right? Right. process that grief. And to re, um, you know, in my tradition, my faith tradition, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Mm-hmm. I have come to say, I believe in the resurrection of grief. Mm. When I am officiating at a funeral or memorial service, I look out in the congregation and I sense that the people there are not only thinking about the individual that they came to give thanks for they're thinking about all the other individuals in their lives that love and that grief resurfaces and it comes with a weight a, a, yeah. a burden i mean yeah. and so um you know it'd be great if on that example i gave if parents would talk about with their children when their first pet died and what that was like for them we need to tell those stories yeah <clears throat> you know we just got back from vacation yesterday friend And we went to Disney World, which is, you know, sensory overload for my 47-year-old body. (laughs) And it is also the same for my 14, 11-year-old. And we're driving home in the car, and my son is, you know, looking forlorn and morose, you know, kind of pouting and like, I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? He's like, I'm just not looking forward to anything the rest of the day or the rest of the week. Everything I have to do is chores or you know, he's trying out for soccer. I got to run until I almost vomit, you know, like he's just lamenting. And I remember, I remember going through this catalog of responses, friend, like, you know, I wanted to chastise him for focusing on, not focusing on the great experience he just had. I wanted to pep talk him into, you know, the great opportunities he has this summer for free time, et cetera, et cetera. But I realized that like, one of the things I'm having to give my son that I never got was a, a resonating witness for sadness. Yes. Um, will you talk a bit about, you talk in the book about how grieving in community is important. Would you say more about why we need our sadness seen in order for grief to be processed? And I think you alluded to it earlier, Ben, when you were talking about the isolation that we feel in grief. Yes. And so to have that gift of community, um, like even in your car ride, your son wasn't alone. He gave voice to that in the community known as family that he trusted and he knew it was a safe space to give expression to that. 
we need those safe spaces. Yeah. My, it almost wasn't a safe space is what I'm saying. You know, I, I was I really, know, but I'm I was proud really of you. ready, friend. I heard friend. the little litany of things that you went through and, you know, friend, I'm proud of you. Friend, one of the first things Fran uh, said to me before we hit record was something that was encouraging to me. And uh, I just, I'm seeing this about you, Fran. You're, uh, I, I appreciate having you on. We'll maybe oh. have you on once a month just when we feel dejected and down just, about ourselves. We'll just yeah, get do. Fran on and she'll encourage us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I did notice. I did notice that what I ended up saying to him didn't change anything. I just said, you know, yeah, we just came off of an incredible seven days, where you know we got to eat really good food and ride rides that, you know, you may never get to ride again. And it's normal to have sort of an after, kind of an after glow sort of letdown. You know, you're now you're riding in a hot car, and we have a 45 minute drive home from vacation, and you know you're going to get to a house and have to do laundry. That's just not as exciting. So I get it. That's all I said. You identified with him. You affirmed his feelings, you know, and then you could explore that as, you know, yeah. what, what would you like the next days? What would you like to be able to do the next yeah. days? Yeah. I guess I share that as like sort of a confession to say, I think that I don't appreciate how central grief is to the human experience and how necessary it is. Right. I think grief tells us the truth. It tells us the truth. And I um, wrote in the book, I heard, um, can't recall of all the things, but they were saying that all of our emotions are going to continue to resurface until we give them the respect they demand. Mm. To me, that was powerful. Yeah. Well, you, you structure this book around 10 chapters and the chapters have questions. And then there's a practice that goes with the question. And one of your chapters is on feelings. Why do our feelings matter? Um, and then you have uh, sort of this exhortation, which is befriending our emotions. Will you talk a bit about what it means to befriend our emotions? It's um, actually, I became familiar with that uh, as a Buddhist practice. And so what the Buddhist practice does is it's like they talk about Mara, who we know in our tradition as Naomi's name. Mm. After the death of her son, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for mm. I am bitter. Yeah. So Mara comes in and what you do to befriend Mara are these feelings is say, with the imagination of our faith, come in and sit down with me. Let me serve you tea or what is your favorite beverage? And just visualize that emotion present. Mm. You're giving them the respect. People also like to be called by their name. So if you can name that emotion, mm. you know, four good categories. Is it, <laughs> are you inviting mad, sad, glad, or scared mm. into your presence? Address them by their name, and then be curious. What's prompted you to come into my life? Something you want to teach me? You've maybe come before in my life and I ignored you. What would you like me to learn about you now? So these are ways to engage in conversation. Um, and of course, I mean, it does require imagination, but I feel like we have that gift. And uh, it's interesting 
Um, maybe some of the responses, somebody says, well, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, you know, how can you do that? And I had an experience the other day because throughout my life, I have recognized that it's difficult for me to give expression to anger mm. and that I allow it um, because that's not a nice thing to do. <laughs> and what I do in not recognizing it for what it is, it's still present, but it shows up in the form of sadness. Mm. And so not long ago, I won't go into the details, but my older daughter had an experience and a professional responded to her in a very unprofessional way. And this mama was angry. Yeah. I was mad as hell. <laughs> and what was I going to do? And I wrote a letter to that professional. And after I did it, I thought I did something constructive with that anger. I named it. I asked it what I should do with it. It said, you need to let that person know. And afterwards, I'm like, yes, maybe finally I'm growing up mm. <laughs> and maturing um, because I didn't let it just go into sadness, which it would have. Yeah. Ben, what are, you, what are you hearing when you hear about this way of relating or way of approaching emotion? Yeah, I mean, I, I resonate um, with your experience, Fran, of um, I'm very familiar with repressing my anger. Um, it's kind of a hallmark of how I've navigated the world because it's bad. You know, it's, it's a bad thing to feel angry. You shouldn't feel angry. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's been really helpful for me to, um, I really appreciate the way you talked about personifying almost your emotions. Um and I think it's a deeply, you know, I, I know you said you learned it as a Buddhist practice, um, but, I, you know, it's deeply helpful, I think, for a Christian practice as well, um, just to be able to honor, you know, it's an aspect of the image of God in you, actually, that you can um, experience these emotions. And, and any emotion in and of itself, you know, is is neither bad nor good or right or wrong. It just is. It's, just, it's something that's happening uh, in your body, and it's a normal, you know, uh, response. Um, so anyway, so I think it's, it's all, it seems like it's, you know, a lot of these emotions are lumped in with grief then as well, the experience of grief. And um, it's really important, maybe part of, I'm drawing this back to what you said earlier about how, you know, grief is the raw experience, the inner experience, you know, of loss perhaps. And then mourning is the choice we can make. And it sounds to me like maybe, you know, part of that choice that we get to make is, well, what do I do with this now that I've acknowledged this anger and I, I realize why it's here or this sadness or this fear? Um, well, now what do I do with it? And, and maybe that's part of the mourning. I don't know if there's other, um, you know, uh, aspects of that um, mourning that, was, that you wanted to touch on. Well, I was fascinated. A um, good friend who lives in Wisconsin was in Dallas. We had breakfast and said, you know, I've read your book. I've highlighted it. I've made notes and I have a question for you. Like, let me have it. She said, so your definition of grief and mourning, would you say that we live a life of mourning? Mm -hmm. I responded, let me ponder that. <laughs> yeah. And as I did, given the headlines in the news, 
the 24-7 notice of things that are happening, our personal lives. So perhaps, you know, my next book is how can we learn to to mourn more effectively? How can we make those choices each day that what am I going to do today with what I'm carrying and who I am and what I have to do? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's helpful. You mentioned um, you mentioned this earlier. You know, the the place that we experience these emotions is our bodies, and um, you you touch on this in your book. Um, I wonder if you could uh, just expand on that a little bit. How is the body involved in grief and its resolution? Oh, I think all the all the nerve endings, the in, the the emotions that we have trigger, and and they've come to see, and you know, like with. Mm-hmm reflexology, you know, they can massage your feet uh, to get different emotions and different organs in your body. And we just don't consider the wholeness of who we are. We try to compartmentalize our own bodies and our experiences. Mm -hmm. And if for individuals who refrain, perhaps because of fear of where it's going to take them to delve into their grief and give it time and respect and attention, um, that grief's not going to go away. Yeah. Okay. They're going to have different uh, things. I I do know I want to be cautious with that. My husband's first wife died of breast cancer, and that was in the late 70s, early 80s she died. And that's when they were... I think first connecting parts of our emotions with diseases or parts of our body. And, you know, Barbara was pretty furious and she said, don't you dare try to tell me that I have control over this cancer and that I could respond Mm. in different ways to not have it. I want to be cautious. Yeah, that's good. I do though want to raise awareness that, you know, perhaps when your stomach is hurting, what is it in your life you really can't stomach? Yeah. 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 Things like that. Also with the emotions I mentioned in the book too, and it, um, a friend who's a professional counselor Help me realize that our waves, our emotions come as waves. Mm-hmm. That as the wave begins, if you were out there on the ocean and, you know, they at the top of the wave, that emotion doesn't stay there. It then descends. Mm. And so if when we feel that emotion coming, if we can step back or with the individual that we're present with, it's like, You know, as this emotion is rising up to a crest and then going, where can you place it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So where can you visualize that and also realize, I mean, that wave may return, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but it's going to come in in waves. And that's helpful for me. Yeah. We'll be right back. 
The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. So in naming emotions, you named imagination earlier, you know, as we make tea for our anger (laughs) Um, and our bodies. I'm noticing that those are three areas of knowing areas of encounter, maybe that most, most of my experience in churches just ignore either ignore or they actually are anti-emotion right so emotion is unreliable and untrustworthy if you're too emotional you can't become a leader etc etc there's pejorative scripts and so part of the work that your book does and maybe this is the connection to why we have such a complicated relationship with grief is that we need to reclaim places like our body and our emotions and our imagination as vital and central to what it means to be human and what it means to be a Christian human who's communing with God. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) And as servant leaders, um, servant leaders, uh, we lead the way to give expression, be vulnerable. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, this is awesome, Fran. I'm having such a good time talking to you. Um, Maybe by way of wrapping up a bit towards the end of your book, you talk about the stuff on the other side of grief, or maybe what's commonly thought of as on the other side. You talk about forgiveness uh, and letting go. Uh, but you also state that grief is something we carry with us for a long time, maybe even a lifetime. Can you talk about this relationship? I'm, I'm fascinated by it. This idea that grief you'll always have with you and that forgiveness and letting go is possible. How do those two things relate. I think the common denominator in both of those things is love. So as I share in my book, Queen Elizabeth, her quote was, um, grief is the price you pay for love. And I visited with a colleague today and she said, and I'll pay that price because in order to have, in order to have that love, I will do that for relationships to continue there is a necessity of forgiveness, Um, you know, and to model that for our children, to model that for our parishioners and uh, to practice it ourselves, to be open, um, perhaps, you know, the hardest, most difficult is to forgive ourselves for something that we've done Um, and to accept forgiveness. There's There's so much that can be said about forgiveness. I believe that to have an experience with someone 
where they will give you the time and attention to allow you to articulate your desire for forgiveness and the way in which you have hurt them because we don't feel comfortable in conflict. And so we will brush that off and say, it really doesn't matter. It's okay. I've forgotten all about it. I mean, we just lie, lie, lie. (laughs) (laughs) And so to have some time of truth and grace and beauty, say, you know, for you to come and give that expression, your desire, I do forgive you. And in that forgiveness, as we move forward, let's do this perhaps differently. Yeah. Because no, we know in forgiveness that that we're 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 changed. We've we've got to do a new thing. And what happens so often, I feel like in any business relationships, marriages, you just do the same thing over and over again because uh, true forgiveness hasn't been sought and heard and extended. Yeah. A few master classes here, I think. Yeah. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Right. And this That's is great. just a, you know, podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe, uh, maybe by way of closing, Fran, you know, I, I know you wrote this book, you know, for people who have something, you know, to grieve and we all do. Um, I, I'm wondering if you can maybe just articulate verbally, maybe someone who's listening, who is really realizing that they have some grief to process um, that they, that they've been living with, that they have been ignoring or, or unaware of, or, you know, needing to walk through and figure out how to mourn well and faithfully and with God and all that. Um, You know, I wonder if you could articulate maybe your desire for them or your wish for them. Um, Just, it's a little bit of a weird request, but I'm wondering if you can speak maybe directly to those who are listening um, and give a word of encouragement about, you know, their grief and maybe what they're realizing they need to walk through. Would you do that yeah, for us? Sure. I, I'm reaching out and visualizing individuals who are hearing this podcast, who have recognized that there is a grief within them that has Hold on too long. I want to encourage you to reach out to a friend, to a caring, compassionate community, to a spiritual director, to a pastor like Matt or Ben, and say, would you give me some of your time? I want to share a part of my story, and I want you to help me filter through it with some open-ended questions, and I want to grow through this and mature, take that time. You are worth it. You're worth every single minute of the time that it will take. You're worth it. Please reach out and do not feel alone. Thank you, Fran. The book again is called The Spirituality of Grief, 10 Practices for Those Who Remain. Fran, if people want to interact with uh, other writings of yours or just you on uh, social, where can they find you on the internet? Right. I've got a website, franTiltonShelton.com, and there's a place there that they can send me an email and I'm prompt in responding. I would be happy to do that. And 
be great. Awesome. Well, Fran, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thanks for the invitation. Well, that, that, that warmed my heart. It did. Yeah. Me too. You know what I noticed? I noticed that um, I sort of matched her energy the entire <laughs> interview. I think I know what you mean. You know, um, listeners probably do too. Just sort yes. of uh, gentle, very gentle speaking. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of room for silence, which yeah. always makes me a little anxious on podcasts. I'm always like, you know, if there's too much silence on a podcast, you assume that like your connection failed or something went wrong. So, But there was but nothing I, wrong. There, there was, was just, nothing wrong. It was fine. Just yeah. kind of uh, felt like my my vibrations, my normal <laughs> energy of a circus barker uh, left me. <laughs> the, the court jester. <laughs> <laughs> and you settled into the... Uh, she, she had a grandmotherly energy. It was really nice. It um, was. A uh, very sweet, uh, very yeah. sweet woman. Um, and yeah, and also obviously very um, wise and experienced uh, on this topic of grief. You know what I found? I didn't comment on this, but you know what I found fascinating was that her introduction to to the whole topic was that she had to teach class on it. <laughs> they were like, you're you're now the grief expert. She's like, okay, I guess I am. Okay, I guess I got to learn something about grief. I love that because I come back to this a lot. It's a joke. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you've probably heard this before. But I think that God's remedial program for people who can't figure out how to be Christians the normal way is to put them into ministry. So they have to learn how to, <laughs> they got to teach classes and preach sermons. So it's like, well, you got to learn something now. So anyway, I, I thought that was, uh, I don't know, just like, all I was, I guess I was expecting some sort of grief, some sort of like loss uh, that was like, oh, I have to figure out what this is, but it was, no, I have to teach on it. <laughs> I'm now the I'm now the parent. I'm I now love the that. yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think it because it mirrors. You know, a lot of the things that I know a lot about have have actually come because like I felt like I had to know a lot about it because of my job. <laughs> and you know, you you get propelled into something, and you're like, okay, well now yeah. I, now I do understand some things. And so, right. Anyway, right. I know things I now. Was great. I know some things. So, <laughs> um, hmm. yeah, it was a it was an encouraging interview. And I'm glad she uh, took me up on my, uh, you know, the last request that I had. I just had that sense about her energy that she could speak uh, very helpfully, directly, um, you know, to people. And so uh, I'm hopeful that was helpful for some of our listeners. Yeah. She it's really, for me. yeah, it was good. <sighs> Did I tell you this week that my son asked me what it was like to be a parent? Uh, no, you didn't tell me that. Yeah. So I woke him up at 2 a.m. to tell him my sock came off. <laughs> Give him an experience of being a parent. Yeah, yeah this is what it's like. <laughs> this is what it's like. Buddy. <laughs> my sock came off. <laughs> my tummy feels weird. Do you remember that at all, Ben? Because it's been a while. It's been a hot minute for you. Yeah, it has been. It has been. I just, uh, yeah, my, you know, my youngest just graduated from, although by the time this comes out, my youngest will be in college. So I'll have two in college. Anyway. By the time Crazy. this comes out, you may be a grandparent. I might be, well, gestation periods and such, probably not. So I doubt it. But who I doubt knows, any really? of my children are, uh, are, are pregnant. So, Well, I know what you're going to message on the group, on the family group text now. Okay. Off. Yeah. Hey, just curious. <laughs> <laughs> 
a lot of uh, a lot of what the heck, Dad? What's dad, going on? What, stop being weird, Dad. Yeah, jeez. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Um. All right. Well, beloved until, listener, we'll catch you next time. time. All right. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Joining our Gravity community is free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the podcast, and you can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start record button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.